0: Good morning, saints. Good morning, Good morning sinners It's Good to be home. This morning, I want to start with um, two items. I want to start with two items. Uh, first is a question that I want us to think about and put on the shelf right here in the forefront of our mind because we'll look at it again. But then I want us to look at uh, an, a historical story. First, the question. Think for yourself. What voices of the culture, what voices, period, period, do you hear that serve as your direction on how to live life? Now think about that. Think about that. What are those voices, whether in culture, in your head, whatever, that give you, you know, like a Greek chorus shouting out directions to the actors on the stage? What are those voices that you hear that direct you and your life? So take that question, and I want you to kind of just put it right here, put it on the shelf right in front of you here, because we're going to pick it up and look at it in a few minutes. But the second thing I want to do is tell you a story, a real story. Once upon a time, there was this fierce Greek commander who later became known as Alexander the Great. And Alexander lived in about, oh, the 360s before Jesus was born. And Alexander developed and established a kingdom where he ruled that was expansive. Over here, beginning up with modern-day Greece, extending south all the way into Egypt and parts of northern Africa. All the way east from there through Asia Minor, what we call Turkey, Syria, Palestine, into Iraq and Iran, all the way to India. Huge kingdom. And so Alexander was was reigning all this time. And when he died at the spry age of 32, it's amazing what you can do when you're 32 years old. (laughs) What have you done when you're 32? Well, I've conquered from here to India. Wow. Well, that's as far as it went. You see, he died. And he had four friends who were his generals that helped him conquer this incredible empire. One of those generals... Looked after the area down in Egypt and, and northern Africa and what is in the Sinai Peninsula. Another one kind of ruled over Greece and parts of the Baltic region. Another one named Seleucius, he ruled over Palestine through Syria. Iran and Iraq, and then there was another general friend who took over India. And so these four generals, after Alexander died, they, they were, you know, Alexander said, hey, you guys figure it out, and so those guys did. And um, the one that settled in Palestine was kind of a jerk. Um, the Seleucids is how they are known, the kingdom of the Seleucids. And back around 170 years before Jesus was born, one of their kings, Antiochus Epiphanes, set up the statue of Zeus, the pagan god of Greece, set the statue of Zeus up right smack in the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem. Imagine how that went over. The Jewish holy of holies in the temple has been desecrated with this Greek statue of this God, quote-unquote, Zeus. The people went nuts. And so what began was this, this murmuring among the Jewish people and eventually a family arose, the Maccabees, the Maccabees family, the Maccabean revolt is what it's called. And they began to rise up and against Antiochus Epiphanes and his followers and his other leaders. And what happened is that in around 160 years before Jesus, Judas Maccabeus, one of the Maccabeus brothers, Judas overthrows the Seleucids in Jerusalem. And the Jews reclaimed Jerusalem and they tear down that statue of Zeus in the temple and they tore everything out that the Greeks put in, the Seleucids had put in, stone by stone. If it had touched one of the Greek gods, they took it out and replaced it with a brand new freshly hewn rock. They rebuilt it from the inside. When they finished, they threw an eight-day party. The Jews threw an eight-day party. It went on. Eight, as Adam Sandler says, eight crazy days and nights. They called it the Feast of Dedication. We know it as Hanukkah. And Hanukkah is the celebration of light, of joy, of reclaiming Jerusalem as As the place where God dwells, it is a reclaiming of Jerusalem as the seat of Israel. And then from that point on, for about 80 years, Israel was a state on its own. Without any Seleucid empire to govern them, the Jews governed themselves. So Hanukkah is a celebration. It's like their 4th of July, the Jewish 4th of July. We have our temple back. We have our home back. This is great news. And for the first time in centuries, the Jews were self, uh, self-governing. But it lasted only 80 years, right before Jesus was born. You see, the world began to get swirly. Politicians began to get wonky. They actually started doing things for themselves instead of the people. Who figured? So when in this swirly situation, the Jews who were trying to maintain governance themselves, they said, you know, we're getting some this outside control pressing in on us, and it's really uncomfortable, so we're going to ask some people to come in and, and help us keep the peace. And so they invited the Romans... Dear Rome, would you mind coming in and help us keep the peace? Settle things down. And Rome was all too eager to oblige. They came in as mercenaries and they squatted. We kind of like Judea. Hey, this seat feels good. And so they overtook Palestine. They displaced the Jews. Now, why is is all this important? Why is all this important? Why know about the Feast of Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication? Well, why do I say all this? Because it helps us better understand the story we're about to hear in John. John chapter 10. In our story today, we have to remind ourselves, as an author, authors do not waste words. There is an economy to their writing, and words are not wasted on, on, on anything. Um, stories don't occur, occur in a vacuum. Um, the authors choose and weigh all the words he or she uses. And in good writing, there are no wasted words. And John 20, uh, chapter 10, verses 22 to 30, is a wonderful example of this. John is painting us a picture of the context and environment that Jesus was in, and, and we're going to hear about that. Now, up to this point in John's Gospel, Jesus has been doing signs, not miracles. John calls them signs pointing to, um, the, pointing to God, pointing Jesus as the, as, as the incarnation of God. In chapter 9 of John, he has cured a blind man on the Sabbath. Oh, my. This man has been blind since birth. Jesus uh, cured his blindness. The man goes through a progression of his people want to know who did this on the Sabbath. And people are all wound wound up that Jesus actually worked on the Sabbath, healed this guy. And Jesus begins having this discussion with the religious leaders and those who were um, wrapped up in the do's and don'ts of their spiritual walk. And Jesus begins to talk about the good shepherd... what is a good shepherd? Who is the good shepherd? And as these religious officials were listening to Jesus and the Jews were listening to Jesus, they, they knew their Bible. They knew their scriptures. And as they heard Jesus talk about the good shepherd, they would no doubt remember the words of the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapters 34, where Ezekiel is contrasting Jesus, uh, the Jewish r- religious leadership as bad shepherds how they are the bad shepherds who had let the flock of the people of Israel astray, who have abused them, have taken advantage of them. And so Jesus is juxtaposing that with, I am the good shepherd. And it would not have gone unnoticed by the people. So, we're going to pick up in verse 22, and I want you to listen to the words of the Lord, and I want you to make special note of how John places Jesus in a very particular, descriptive context, and how this context highlights the nature and purpose of what it means that Jesus is the Good Shepherd. Okay? Hear the word of the Lord John chapter 10, verse, beginning with verse 22. that time, the festival of dedication, which is what? Hanukkah, took place in Jerusalem. It was winter. and Jesus was walking in the temple. Where? In the portico of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around Jesus and said to him, "How long will you keep us in suspense?" If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I have told you. You don't believe me. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me. But you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else. And no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are what? One. Ooh, Jesus has gone from preaching to meddling. Now let's make sure we get this full image now. It's December. The Jews are celebrating the festival of Hanukkah. Eight days of crazy nights and lights. They're having a celebration. It's a victory celebration as a relief from oppression. It's a time when the Jews remembered how God swept out those corrupt, Seleucid leaders and replaced them with Jewish leaders and reestablished a Jewish state. There was peace. There was stability. It was a celebration. John the author has placed Jesus' teaching somewhere very specific. Solomon's portico. Which is just adjacent to the front of the temple. You have the temple in its grandeur. And right in front of the temple's doors, off by 100 yards, is this giant Portico. This is where the kings and leaders of Israel would hold court. It's in the portico that they would give decisions to the people on direction, on how they were to live life and execute the laws. People like King Solomon. The portico stood since Solomon's time. So guess where Jesus was holding court? Where the king's. Hold court. In other words, he's the king. Furthermore, Jesus is comparing how the current religious system is defiling the purpose of God. And the temple needs a new cleansing today. It needs a new dedication. It has replaced God's law of grace with a law of compliance to do's and don'ts and to rules. And the people are looking for a new Messiah who would liberate them from the Roman rule. Never mind they asked him to come in. Now they want them out. And they want this, this Messiah, this warrior king who would liberate them once again. Just as Judas Maccabeus liberated the nation of Israel back in 164 before, Jesus, before Christ. Some 150 years earlier, the people are looking to Jesus saying, Are you the Messiah? Are you the new Judas Maccabeus who is going to liberate Israel and let us be a state again? Now this is one of those times in history when people were excelling and missing the point. They were looking for temporal salvation from the Romans. Jesus was offering salvation that was eternal. The people wanted a warrior leader. Jesus was offering them something much more profound. Not a warrior king, but a good shepherd who intimately knows his or her flock. The people were looking for a human being to be Messiah, liberator from the Romans. Jesus is declaring that God himself is leading the people from solomon's portico right now and god is a faithful shepherd who knows the individual needs of each of the sheep now it's helpful to remember beloved that sheep aren't the brightest bulbs in the box they have poor eyesight they don't see well. They're not too bright. They have a herd mentality. So if one of you starts running, the other is going to start running after you. They don't know why they're running. That's just what everybody else is doing. We kind of know that behavior in our own culture, don't we? They're dirty. They're smelly. But they have really good hearing. They may not see what's going on, but they can hear what's going on pretty well. So they, they listen for the shepherd's Voice, they listen for the particular tone and tenor of the shepherd's voice because they know regardless of what's going on around them, regardless of what they can't see, they do know the voice of the shepherd and they will follow that voice. They know that they follow that voice, that voice will provide them nourishment, that voice will lead them to safety and to shelter, and that voice will care for their daily needs. Jesus, Jesus is saying the Messiah is a good shepherd. And he's reminding the people that when they hear his voice, they are hearing the voice of God. He is saying that as the good shepherd, he will watch out for all of those who respond to his voice. He will protect them with a velvet, strong hand of love. The good shepherd promises that no one, no thing, no circumstance, no situation can pluck the sheep out of the good shepherd's hand nor the father's hand. Even though they can't see the good shepherd, they hear. Let's go back over here and take that question that we asked at the beginning. Let's take it off the shelf and put it front center. Beloved, what voices are you listening to in the world today? What voices are you listening to in the world today? Are you able to hear the words of liberation and celebration from the mouth of Jesus, the good shepherd? Or are you filling yourselves up with the din of the culture? Sisters and brothers, what is the voice that holds, continues to hold you through worry, doubt, through addiction, despair? And what, what is the voice that perhaps is preventing you from realizing eternal life now. Our Anabaptist friends have it part right. Salvation has to do with what happens to us when we die. But one of the things we Presbyterians bring to the table is the reminder... That here in John 10, 28, Jesus points to the reality. Salvation is a present reality. Eternal life begins now. And all we have to do is listen to the voice. See, those who hear the shepherd's voice will experience a peace and a quality Of life right now that they've never experienced before. It's a voice of peace, surety, that nothing in this life can separate us from the love of God through the Good Shepherd and snatch us from His hand. Nothing. Beloved, our Lord calls us from the courts of the king of Israel, from Solomon's portico, and he bids us into new life. Do we hear his voice? Do we hear this voice, this invitation to Easter life? Because you know what? He's risen And he knows your name. Let's come to the table and be fed by the strong, velvet, tender hands of the Good Shepherd. Can I get an amen? amen. Pray with me. Holy Spirit of God, as we gather this day, you, uh, we are asking that you clean our ears. Help us in our ability to hear your words to us. Help us, O God, to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd calling us to new life this very moment. That, Lord, it's a life of grace and that we are called to live a life of grace as a voice of promise and hope to those in the world who haven't heard the Good Shepherd's voice yet. Enable us through this meal to proclaim that good word. Holy Spirit, take these everyday gifts of unfermented wine and bread. Separate them from their everyday use and make them the body and blood of Jesus Christ as we are lifted together, every single one of us, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Catholic, Episcopal, whatever, as we are lifted before the spiritual presence of Jesus and dine with him and the saints of God, who is, who was, and is to come. Amen.